0: There's a lot of people that are suffering with Crohn's disease, IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. There's a lot of people that are suffering with that. And sometimes they have to have an ileostomy for the rest of their lives because they can't get that inflammation
1: down in their colon, which is crazy. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast. I'm Maya Acosta, and I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. The average person has about a 1 in 20 chance of developing colorectal cancer over the course of his or her lifetime. Fortunately, it is among the most treatable cancers, as regular screening has enabled doctors to detect and remove the cancer before it spreads. There are more than 1 million colorectal cancer survivors in the United States alone, and among those diagnosed before the cancer has spread beyond the colon, the 5-year survival rate is about 90%. But in the early stages, colorectal cancer rarely causes symptoms. If the cancer is not caught until later stages, treatment is more difficult and less effective. Starting at the age of 50 until 75, you should start screening and stool testing. And this is according to Dr. Michael Greger's How Not to Die. Well, in today's episode, we will be speaking about surviving colorectal cancer. Bex will share her story of being diagnosed and then Undergoing treatments, Bex Eiten started her nursing career 30 years ago. She graduated nursing school from Riverside College in Riverside, California. Has held several roles in the hospital setting and recently retired from Kaiser Permanente. She's a certified case manager and accredited case manager. Certified as a diplomat for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and has also completed certification for plant-based nutrition through E. Cornell's T. Colin Campbell's Nutrition Program. She's now currently focusing to educate on the benefits of holistic medicine and is giving talks on colorectal cancer survival. Make sure to listen to the entire episode to learn what you can do to prevent and screen for colorectal cancer. I hope that you find this discussion informative. Let's welcome Bex.
0: Thank you very much, Maya, for having me on your um, program to talk about some healthy lifestyles.
1: Let's start with the fact that you are, you were also a pod leader. Tell us where you're from and what brought you to Texas.
0: Right. So um, I was from Northern California, lived in this very small town called Dixon. It's right outside of Davis and Sacramento. And that's where my pod area was. So I did came, come to this area just because my husband and I decided it was time for a change. Um, we liked this area. I'm kind of close to like three hours away from uh, by flight at DFW, three hours away from our um, our kids that live in Pittsburgh area, and three hours away from Sacramento. So we're kind of in the middle. And I felt like this was a good um
1: a good solution for us. Well, welcome to Texas. Thank you. So, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because I've never on the show covered colorectal cancer so important to talk about that uh, in screening and so you also have a background in nursing so i find it interesting um how this whole story came about um i'd love to know a little bit more about what life was like before you were diagnosed and if you if you can lead us up to that point did you have any symptoms what uh, what are some of the risk factors if you happen to know any
0: yeah, no, um, I have been, I am a registered nurse and I'm also a case manager and I worked at a facility in Vacaville, California, Kaiser Permanente, which Kaiser is, is a, is very big on preventative health. That is they're a health maintenance, um, insurance, and they have, uh, the hospitals and clinics all rolled up in one, um, up to that point prior to my being diagnosed, I'm actually very healthy. I have been a vegetarian since 1995. I actually stopped eating um, beef or any pork or any other product, uh, that type of meat products in 93, just keeping chicken and fish. And then I transitioned off of all of meat products in 1995. So I was a complete vegetarian. So leading up to this, I mean, I I still ate cheese and I still ate eggs and but no animal products as far as meat. And then and I was always active. I I like to run, I like to exercise. So leading up to this point um, of my diagnosis, I was the person that nobody expected to get rectal cancer. and it was very surprising to my colleagues, families and friends because if this could happen to me who seems healthy, then it could happen to anybody. And um, so I didn't have any pain, nothing that I that would lead me to believe anything that anything was wrong. What my biggest symptom was bowel changes not to get too graphic or anything, but your stool is a certain way. And when you notice it coming out square, it's not right. (laughs) You go, so there's a problem. And, uh, for me, I went to my primary care physician and I explained to her that I was having, uh, bowel changes and it was unusual. And I kind of knew there was something going on. I mean, it just, it just was unusual. So she, I, I requested a fit, which is a, um, fecal immunoassay test. It's actually a test that you would do yourself in the privacy of your own home. You check your stool, you send it away. They send, uh, they do the, they run the test and it uh, actually shows whether there's blood or these certain proteins in your stool. And mine did come back positive. And because it came back positive, I was further referred for um, the next level of testing, which would have been the colonoscopy.
1: Now, did you know about this FIT test because of your background? Or was it just you simply doing your research?
0: No, it's interesting because Kaiser Permanente as a very big on preventative health, once you turn age 50, they start sending you these yearly they just automatically send it to your house for you to test. And I think it's fantastic. But me being the person that's, oh, you know, everything is fine. I never took the test. (laughs) I feel like, gosh, why didn't I do that? But I didn't, you know, and it's something that when you're healthy, I think we forget that there's still preventative things. It's just, you know, you do need to have yourself checked out. And that was an easy remedy, but I know that they had sent me the test back in June and I didn't do it. So uh, it it wasn't until November that that's when I did it. If I would have known in June, I mean, who knows? Maybe the trajectory of this disease might have been different. I really don't know. But that's... um, that's definitely important. So I didn't know about the test other than that's what they send to your home.
1: You said it's a home kit. So that means that if we kind of look it up, we probably will be able to... um do the tests? I mean, you still have a physician, right? That has to review the results or
0: you can buy these tests at Amazon. You can order these tests and they're very inexpensive. And they're actually tests that the ones that you order on Amazon, you can actually see if whether it comes back positive or negative immediately, it doesn't have to be sent into pathology which is helpful to somebody at home. If they just want to know, you can do that. Of course, talking to your doctor and further testing might be necessary, but it might give you a clue as to um, if there is something going on that you just can't tell for sure. So you definitely can purchase those on your own.
1: Yeah. So now, uh, you get your results and at that time had you consulted with your physician were you already working with your physician or what's ne- what happened next
0: no just my my primary care physician is the one that she got me the test and then uh she referred me once it came back positive she didn't did notify me that it was positive and that she was going to send me to the gastroenterologist who does the colonoscopies. So I was referred, and actually, I didn't really, ha- all I did was show up for the colonoscopy. I've never had one before at that point, And that was in um, November or December, December of 2017. And uh, the colonoscopy immediately, the GI physician could see the mass that was in my rectum area, and so she was already did a biopsy bio biopsied it at the time and went ahead and sent the pathology off, but she did tell me that it did look very suspicious. I knew that, and then you know once you get to that point and you're waiting for the pathology, you're kind of holding your breath because even if it I was always somebody that even if it was cancer, the beast what I call it. Um, there's a range of ways. I mean, it could be just stage one, it could be small. I had no idea. So you kind of hold your breath until you get those results. And especially being a nurse, I, I do I do know other people and patients' experiences with this. So, you know, it kind of it weighs a little bit on your mind, but I didn't allow it to um influence uh, my health and worrying about it, worrying about something I can't control at this point. So that was a big deal, but uh, the pathology did come back. It came back very fast and it came back as uh, stage three because it did have lymph node involvement. So the mass was, um, positive adenocarcinoma and with lymph node involvement. And that's where it all kind of started from there, figuring out a plan
1: you must have been horrified what was going through your mind at that time
0: you know what how i felt about it was i was already accepting the fact that it was probably this just because all the pieces kind of lined up towards that but once i found out i was like okay come on come on let's get go on let's let's get things started right <laughs> so let's not waste any time i want this thing out of me right i want it gone so i was on the ball making sure that whatever we have to do is whatever, whatever the next step is, I don't want to waste any time. And it was probably a little bit of a pest, but you know, you don't want anybody to drag their feet when it, when it's in regards to your own life at the facility that I'm at, that I was uh, going to, they go to a cancer board and they review everything. Any new um, cases of certain cancers, especially rectal cancer with, um, and it was stage three, so they review it with the board, which is a group of physicians and um, and other team members uh, like social workers and um, palliative care nurses and all sorts of things to determine um, what the best plan is going forward. So for me, the best plan, and most of the time this happens with rectal cancer, is that they wanted chemotherapy and radiation first in order to shrink the tumor to allow for the surgeon to go in and try to um, resect it. So that was the next plan, um, getting the port placed and in January of, um, 2018 was my journey started really. I started, I had 25 doses of, um, chemotherapy, which it was like a, like a, the, the drug was put in like this little, they call it like a baby bottle, but it's really like is this capsule and they mix it all up one time for the whole week and it goes in and you just keep it on for 5 days and you sleep with it everything it just slowly um diffuses the medication in your body and then on Saturday so i did that on mondays i would go in and they would hook me up and then on saturday i actually just unhooked it myself they showed me you know just unhook it yourself and then that's all you did and then monday through friday and for 27 also, uh, visits I did radiation therapy, which they um, I had to go and have be you know get get that beam <laughs> into to Another way to shrink a tumor, it's very fast. It doesn't take anything to do radiation. It's very fast. Uh, which at the time I didn't know I I didn't know what to expect. I thought I was going to be sick. I thought I was going to be you know it was going to be difficult i arranged transportation through with different family members friends um my husband when he wasn't working would all drive me to would was planning on driving me to this um the radiation oncologist but um because where we were living we had to go the round trip was like a half uh, like it was like a an hour trip it was like a half an hour where i had to go half an hour back so i thought oh man this might be really hard But you know what I found out was that it wasn't, I was actually the first few visits and I had it and I started on the chemo. I actually did really well. I wasn't sick. I didn't have any issues. I was healthy. I told everybody, no, no, don't worry about it. I'll drive my own self because I'm really doing well.
1: That is amazing. And um, I wonder if it's like that for everyone else. But maybe what it is, is what you're saying is that you had sort of already optimized your health. So you took well to the treatments.
0: I think that what happened was, um, I had like I first started telling you is that I was vegetarian. I'd been vegetarian since 95. And you know, I always knew the right way was to be completely plant based. I always knew that to be right. It's just it's hard, like everybody else, have their own journey into becoming fully plant-based. And back in those days, there wasn't a whole lot of people doing that. so it, it wasn't as readily accepted. So when I finally went completely, I made the decision, it was only in two thousand and sixteen. It was only like a year before I was diagnosed in two thousand and seventeen that I was completely plant-based. I truly believe that made a huge difference in my healing because I wasn't sick and I wasn't grow. I mean, I, I believe that and there has been documented evidence that milk casein can absolutely grow the um, cancer tumors is at least some of the research, like from the China study, and they they go through all of this stuff. And it's very fascinating that um, the fact that I was vegetarian, it just wasn't enough. I believe that the tumor continued to grow because I, you know, I wasn't doing anything different until I reached that point of being completely plant-based. I, I have to believe that's helped in my recovery and made me
1: feel so much. So do so well with the treatments. Going plant-based, um, can help with just any kind of treatments when it comes to cancer. So I don't know about the nausea, but you say you didn't really experience that either.
0: No, I was never sick. Um, the type of, there's different types of drugs that you can, um, that they could put in for your chemotherapy agent. And what they used for me, which is very typical, it's, it's called, um, five fluorocell and, they shorten it up to calling it five fu. Now he's kind of got tickled because it was like fu. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take care of this drug. I'm using this fu drug, and that's what they call it, really. And um, the other one was um, Oxoplacin uh, or something else. So I know that there's a lot of side effects that you can have. One of them, I didn't know if I was going to lose my hair. I never lost my hair. Um, I never so you know, that's the one thing with cancer. You have all these other things. And then on top of it all, you lose your hair and you're having to deal with, um, you know, being sick and not feeling well. Um, thankfully I really didn't have to deal with, um, those issues. So, um, I, people would look at me and they just didn't understand that I even was sick because it didn't look like it.
1: So I'm wondering also if you could sort of explain what a stage three looks like, Out of the four stages of cancer. Um, So I know you, you said you had a mass, which turned out to be a tumor. You had to have treatments first before they could remove the tumor. Is that right? That's right. It just, you know, for listeners that might be curious as to what is the difference when you catch it early on, um, say, when it's stage one, as opposed to now when you're at stage four, if you could sort of explain um, what you know about that and then tell uh, and then pick up on like when you had the tumor removed. So um, the difference is
0: stages when you when you have a mass and they send a biopsy, it's the only way that they can do it to determine whether it's actually a a, a cancerous tumor and they can also tell in that pathology whether it went to um lymph nodes if it goes to your lymph nodes then it is um uh, they consider it a stage 3 now i'm oversimplifying the 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 staging system is so complex it has all of these letters and, you know, you could be a two or three C and you know, there's all of these letters. It's very complex, but to simplify it is if you can catch, um, any type of cancer in stages one or stage two, uh, you have a better prognosis. If you go into stage three and it has lymph node involvement, that means that the lymph nodes circulate throughout your body and so you might have a more of a chance for it to go somewhere else in your body and grow again. And which, you know, fast forward for me, that is what happened. I, I ended up getting it in my lung um, also, which um, ultimately put me at stage four. Um, but. At the time, okay, so we have, uh, we're have we shrinking my tumor and we did all of that and I did really well. And now what they do is they wait until all of my numbers were up and I was optimal health in order before I go into surgery, because this is a major surgery, mini hour surgery. And I never had surgery before. I just have always been so health healthy. I just don't, I, I don't have anything going on with me. But on May 2nd, 2018, which happened to be my son's, my youngest son's 18th birthday, what the heck, Um, I went in for surgery. And that's when uh, uh, we went ahead and took out the tumor. I did choose the surgeon that I was going to be using. I, I looked into that before I actually um, met with the surgeons, I was thinking I wanted a good referral. I wanted somebody that's familiar with it and good bedside manner is, is, I mean, of course I want a good surgeon, but bedside manner does matter to me, you know, some parts of that. So I did have a great surgeon. I just, I love him. He is awesome. He was so meticulous, very, very, very good bedside manner. He informed everybody that was there for me, my husband, everybody, keeping everybody informed. But I went in on, um, I didn't want to go in on May 2nd because of my son's birthday and I didn't want, Oh my gosh, what happens to me on the table? I don't want to die on the table. And it would be a terrible thing to leave my 18 year old. My son is 18th birthday, but you know, That was partially in the back of my head, but at the same time, I'm a realist and I'm like, okay, I can do this. I am not going to die on the table. I'm going to get through this. It's going to be fine. And I'll always remember the day, you know, I had to think positive. So um, anyway, coming out of surgery though, what they do is they take the mass out and they reconnect you and he removed a lot of the rectum. And kind of the anatomy of your body, if you don't already know this, is that your stomach. You know, you get you have a stomach, and then the stomach goes into a small intestines, and so the small intestines then empties into the large intestines, and we are talking about. Colon or rectal cancer. Colon cancer. You're talking about the large intestines where you're going to have some kind of a growth. I mean, when they do a colonoscopy, they're looking at your large intestines. And for me, for that further down in the rectum where it all attaches, if you're taking that out, I didn't know when I went for surgery. I wasn't sure if I was going to come out with if he could save any part of my rectum, which. was is a big deal because I might have had to have a bag in place, a colon a um a colostomy bag in place. Um or in my case, it turns out he saved part of my rectum. And so when I came out of surgery, I had an ileostomy bag, which means they put a bag in my small intestines where it attaches. They they kind of open it up so when you eat food it's, you know, your body is going to process it, but it's going to go, your, your remains, your stool is going to go into um, the bag. And, um, and the reason they do that is they're going to heal, you have to heal your surgical site, right? So you don't want any irritation and all of that. So I had the bag. So I come out of, uh, of surgery with the bag and And so that was a whole new experience for me. Um, Also, you know, I've had patients that have had it. I've changed it on patients before, but I've never had my own self, you know. But there's a lot of people that are suffering with things like Crohn's disease, IBD, inflammatory bowel uh, disease, Uh, There's a lot of people that are suffering with that, and sometimes they do have to have an ileostomy for the rest of their lives just because they can't get that inflammation down in their colon, which it's it's just, it's crazy. There's, there, I learned how, how frequent that happens. Um, And it's to young people. A lot of times they're in their twenties and to just live like that. That's just the way they'd have to live. That's new to me. What you just explained. Can you say that word again? It's an ileostomy. I-L-E-O-S-T-O-M-Y, and that just means that it's connecting in the ileum of your small intestines versus, you know, like if you, I, if you were to get it down further, if it was going to have to be a more permanent select, um, solution, it would be called a um, colostomy, which is like in your colon, the hole that, you know, in the bag.
1: I'm glad that you explained the difference between colon cancer and colorectal. That's That was my understanding. But I think that since we haven't touched on either on the show at that, it was important. And especially with your background, you understand exactly what all is happening. You were diagnosed, you started your chemotherapy, and then by May, you had your procedure.
0: I So I had my surgery. And then what typically happens is they want you to have what they call adjuvant chemotherapy. And adjuvant chemotherapy is, um, it's like they put it in your body to keep things, um, from getting worse or to kind of keep it under control. (laughs) And it's kind of just to make sure, um, you know, kill anything that might be circulating, but there's really not a, you're not, there's no purpose really in it as far as, um, you're not purposely uh, looking for a mass or anything like that. So they call it adjuvant therapy. And for me, they were, I think they had like eight sessions that, and it's usually like every other week that they had planned. So once I got strong after surgery, they have to make sure that you're strong after surgery. They wanted to start on the adjuvant therapy. Now, this is an interesting thing. Um, You know, do you know, um, the, the book and the Chris work, I believe it is that, um, Chris Mm -hmm. beats cancer, the young man. Okay. He talks about, Oh, how he didn't do chemo and blah, blah, blah. Well, really what they were doing for him was adjuvant therapy, which that's the chemotherapy that he's talking about. So it's not, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion as to, well, what did he do? Well, he did have surgery. He just didn't have the adjuvant therapy afterwards. He decided not to do that. And it worked out for him, which is great. Um, But um, that's basically, it was different in my situation because you had to have the chemotherapy to shrink the tumor before you could even go through this, the, um, the surgery for the mass. So I started on the adjuvant therapy and you know, that medicine was a little bit Harder on my body than the first ones. The reason being, my numbers weren't as great as I. I could see my some of my um, my white count going down, and I started getting a little fuzzy headed. Like you know, little things. I was getting to be where I'm forgetting stuff, and just I just didn't feel clear. And it was during that time that I saw the docu series, The Truth About Cancer, which was a great one. If you have seen it, or if you um, know anybody that, you know, or if you have that opportunity to see it, I think it's so worth it. It's an eight part series. It, it goes over natural treatments of cancer and talks about uh, so many different aspects of what chemotherapy is. And because I watched that, I made the decision to stop the adjuvant therapy. I thought, you know, I am not feeling great. I'm doing things, I'm doing things that are health wise for my body and I'm, I just don't want to put any more of this, this drug in my body. So I did stop the um, adjuvant chemotherapy and I did fine and well. My oncologist did support me during that. He didn't give me a hard time about it. Uh, And then in November, almost a year after I was initially diagnosed, um I had surgery to put my body back together. So they took the bag off and they reconnected um my um uh, all all parts of my intestines. <laughs> my ileostomy was removed so they put me back together um so that I could just, you know, start trying to live a normal life. And that's where um, I was kind of at at that point.
1: That's an incredible story. During that entire year that you had the ileostomy Were you uncomfortable at all?
0: Well, (laughs) it's funny because nobody wants to have any kind of cancer. Let me just preface, but of course you don't want to have any cancer. But I was, you know, sometimes I thought, gosh, of all things could I get like thumbnail cancer or something? Why does it have to be rectal cancer? <laughs> because you're dealing with things like stool and your bowel movements. And it's very private, you know? And when you have an, um, an ostomy, which I did, there was a couple of ca- occasions where the bag came loose and I was like, oh my gosh, you know? So, so it, it, it was challenging, in the sense that it really had made me um, you know, uh it, it it really had made me embrace our body and embrace all parts of my body, not just ignore the parts that are messy, you know. And I think that's a lot of times what we did. And that's what I did when I wasn't doing the fit test. I didn't do it because I didn't want to do it. I didn't it was messy to do. So that you know, that's avoidance and what I'm trying to tell anybody and everybody that, you know, accept your whole body. It's okay. We all are the same. We all have functions in our body and, um, and do your test, check it out. Uh, no, I didn't have thumbnail cancer, which might've been a little bit easier. I'm not really sure, but instead I had something like uh, the ileostomy that broke a couple times. I was at my, my friend's daughter's wedding and, you know, you just feel something and you're going, Oh my gosh. And I had to, um, it it started leaking at that point. I was at a party and it happened. I was at, um, graduate. I mean, it just happens. I mean, it didn't happen all the time, but it did happen. (laughs) So you have to kind of be ready for it. And, um, so it was a little tricky, but I only had, I had, that ileostomy from May, and then they removed it at the um, beginning or the end of November. So I didn't have it that many months.
1: So you opted then to not continue with additional treatments sort of to, I guess, prevent the recurrence of the cancer or just um, to really keep your body under control, I guess. You, You opted out of that. By this time, you already knew about you know, whole food, plant-based foods, um, how did this all change, like the tra- trajectory of your life, like your where you were before all of this to where you are today? Right. It, it made a huge difference. It made a big change.
0: Um, when I, going back to when I was going through my chemo and radiation, at that point, um, I was not working. I normally worked full-time all the time. So I wasn't working at that time. And I thought, gosh, what can I do to, um, make a difference, do something to make a difference. So I thought about, um, uh, designing a t-shirt and which I did. And my t-shirt, um, I always called the big C word, um, as the beast for me, it was like a beast. (laughs) And I designed these t-shirts called and put, kill the beast on them. And for the profits or, well, for every t-shirt that I sold, I would donate a fit test to a clinic. And that was kind of my philanthropy at the time. I thought, well, you know, I'm lucky enough to have this kind of insurance that sent me these tests automatically. Why can't I do that for maybe somebody that didn't have that? So I did that. I, that's was one of my um, focuses. And it also allowed the, a conversation starter which was terrific. You know, if you can have something to just start the conversation and talk about uh, preventative health because of this and to, to share your story, it it makes a difference for those that might not have realized what this is all about. So I did that. I sold the t-shirts and I was able to um, uh, get the fit test for a clinic. And as I was successful on that and I just decided to uh, share my story as much as possible. I gave a speech on resilience for um, at Kaiser Permanente just because being resilient is um, important for all of us. And when we have things that, uh, an unexpected illness, um, anything that goes wrong in our life, instead of thinking about why me kind of flip it and say, you know, why not me? Why not me? It happened to me. So use that as fuel to encourage others and help others. It really, it, it, it makes a big difference. So that kind of started a new plan for me. And I, 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 at that point I started Beck's beast and did my website and with some education stuff on it about plant-based nutrition, uh, I focused very much on that. And, uh, after watching the truth about cancer, there's a few, um, little tidbits that you know, I really took home with. And, um, and I find this in my daily routine to be super important, but some of the things that I do is I, I eat my greens. The cruciferous vegetables are the best for combating cancer, you know, or, or eliminating, uh, they have so many eliminating powers of, of cancer growth or, you know, cells, they, they do, they do an amazing job. And so I eat a lot of cruciferous vegetables. I um, drink an ECAC tea, which I, I think I don't know if I've mentioned that to you, but that was something in the truth about cancer. It's like a, it's an herbal tea that is um that you mix it all together. And I can't even tell you what the four ingredients are, but you can look at, you can kind of look it up and you drink it, the glass of the cup of tea once a day.
1: What was that tea again? Esiac tea.
0: And um yeah, like E S I A C tea. And it, it is actually a fascinating story. If you look at it, if you look it up about a woman in Canada in the forties had, um, found this, it was either, um, uh, the native Indians in the area that had, that were treating their, uh, people with this tea blend and she wanted to use it. But, um, uh, it, it, to treat people. And so she started using it and it's actually her name backwards. The, her last name backwards is <laughs> Esiac. Again, turmeric is amazing. It's another anti-inflammatory. It's so good for your body. So I do incorporate the um, turmeric. So anything that I could do to boost my immunities is how I live my life now. Mm -hmm. We're not perfect. It's really hard. And, you know, we're inundated with all the food choices and all the other, um, horrible things that are around. we all have temptations. Um, it's, it's not, it's not easy, but you know, in your heart, if something is right, that this is what you need to do. That's what my goals are now. Further on my story, once I was all put back together, they do now I'm on surveillance. And one of the surveillances, that's when they found uh, the surveillance CT scan that I get, um, found a mass in my lung. The mass in the lung was small, but I talked to the surgeon and he felt like he could get it. So after, I mean, there's a whole other story with that, but I, I won't go into, but in in June, of 2019, I went in for lung surgery and they took out the little mass. And um, And so I'm completely free of anything. I just have to maintain it. And that's the biggest thing. I just got to keep, keep everything at bay. And I believe I can do that.
1: How long do you go without anything else happening before they consider you sort of cancer-free? Is it the five years?
0: Well, and it's a tricky thing because if you look at the five years from the American Cancer Society, it's usually a time of diagnosis. It's a little tricky whenever things, when things metastasizes. So I didn't have stage four, the initial stage of um, diagnosis that happened um, a year later, but um, your, your survival rates dramatically drop when you, you know, start going up in your, um, um, whenever you're, 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 cancer is spread. And right now, if I was to be diagnosed with the stage four, uh, cancer with it going to the lungs, they give you about a 16% chance of living in five years from the time of diagnosis. However, it's not, I can't quite, that's, that's not quite me because I wasn't diagnosed with it. So they don't really have any, they don't have anything, um, for people that were diagnosed later. Yes. I have no idea. I don't even really care. You know, every time my, my oncologist would ask me, okay, he says, well, would you like to know the percentages and the statistics? And I say, no, because it's, (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. It's my journey. You know, it doesn't really, I'm not going to worry about something that is not going to come to pass. It's just,
1: it's wasted energy. So earlier I said that, you know, I, I, uh, ordered my labs through lab core. So the first thing I did when, um, when the results came in was look for that C-reactive protein to see what those numbers look like, because that's an indication of inflammation. Do you have any idea of what that was like when you initially started this process? And do you keep an eye on that?
0: Um, I don't actually. um, No, um, there is a lab work test that we do um, that um, uh, for the life of me, I'm I'm not even thinking what it is, but it's actually an indicator for this type of cancer. And my oncologist has that on a routine basis. So we do this number. I'm always well below the normal. So I'm, I'm really good. And we do a, um, a CT scan of my abdomen chest. So the trunk of my body, you get a CT scan. And right now I'm doing it every six months. So that's kind of the maintenance, um, typically in colorectal cancer, if it's going to metastasize, it usually goes to your liver or your lung. Those are the main areas for metastasis. And, um, so that's what they're really looking at. They look at the liver, they look at your lungs. Um, and, and, you know, of course you're, you can see even the colon, if there's anything else, um, colonoscopy that I'll have next, that'll be next June. So I don't really have to worry about that until then, but you know, I feel great my lab work that I have done is great. I don't have any issues. Um, I just, I just expect to be perfectly fine. Um, the American Cancer Society has, they anticipate for colon cancer in 2022, 106,000 cases. They anticipate for rectal cancer, around 45,000 cases so that's kind of the breakdown they usually lump them to the two together um, but there are differences in in the two um, as far as you know there's a lot of lymph nodes associated with the rectal area a lot of nerve endings and things so at the kind of it's kind of concerning uh, I I knew that going in so I felt like the chances of a tumor being stage three, which it already goes to the lymph nodes because of the number of lymph nodes down there. Um I thought that was pretty it was probably a pretty high chance at that point. So it's interesting for everybody with that kind of with would they anticipate those numbers, you know, in a largely preventable cancer diagnosis. Because there's so many lifestyle things that you can do to change your, the trajectory of that diagnosis or to change so that you would never get that diagnosis. So the things that they talk about is, um, eating healthy. Uh, it, it, you know, the sad standard American diet is not healthy. So, um, eliminating, um, you know, meats, processed meats, being more plant forward, plant centric, is, um, the best things, fruits, vegetables, any type of plants, eat lots, whole grains are excellent. And, um, legumes, of course, and beans, all of those things make a huge difference. If we can mainly eat that way, uh, mostly eat that way, then that right there, that's a lifestyle change. Physical activity. If you have live a sedentary lifestyle, um, that is another pre uh, determination of chances of getting a cancer like this. So, I believe the American Cancer Society recommends, you know, moderate to vigorous uh, exercise, and they talk about around 150 hours a week which moderate exercise, you know, you're getting, you know, you're, you're, you're working hard. You might not sweat vigorous. You're really sweating, but maybe moderate is something that you're, you know, you work hard, Uh, but they only really, um, uh, recommend 150 hours a, a week, which that is not that much. If you figure if you take three classes, some kind of a class three times, you're getting 180 minutes of workout a week and you know we can do this and physical activity the other part of it is it doesn't just have to be you know a workout it's what you do on a daily basis that makes a difference you you refer to people working at home do get a stand up desk stand up at your desk you know that standing is a huge difference for physical activity um i i talk about To other people that are looking to prevent for physical activity, it could be just, you know, pushing your shopping cart back. It could be taking the stairs instead of, you know, the elevator. You're only going up one flight. Come on, people. (laughs) So as I mean, all those little things add up to big things. And then, of course, you know, you're going to start, you're going to stop any unhealthy habits like smoking, um, alcohol in excess, um, you know, the the recommendations as far as alcohol, they wouldn't want men more than two drinks a day, women one drink. I mean, seriously, you probably don't even need, I mean, if we can eliminate even that, it would be um, best, of course. It doesn't mean you have to say no to wine forever. It just means, you know, you don't drink it every single night, right? Um, and those are the big. Those are really the big preventative things that we could do, lifestyle changes that you can make that makes a huge difference. That's right.
1: Bex, you also said that you're now very passionate about sharing your story. And so what is next for you in terms of doing that? Like, um, what can we look forward to that you're now working on in terms of either supporting other people or just continuing to share your story?
0: Sure. So, um, as I've said before, I have a website, I invite anybody to go on bexbeast.com, um, at the bottom of my website, at the bottom of the front page, there's a spot for newsletter sign up. I've been focusing on doing my monthly newsletter. I've been doing it for a while. Now that I'm not working as far as in the hospital setting and I've moved out here, my primary focus is, um, I'm gaining, you know, uh, readership to the monthly newsletter. I call it PBJ, Plant Based and Joyful and the 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 idea on um my newsletter is really catch, catching three keys that i believe are are, are um very important to a healthy lifestyle and the three keys are diet activity and social and stress so um as you know and you're probably aware of um i'm a, i'm also a diplomat for the american college of lifestyle medicine i did get that uh, last year. I got that certification and they work on six pillars of health. I've chosen in my own a uh, helpful practice to others to focus on three, which I find them to be very important is that again, it's that diet piece, the physical activity piece. And then when I say social and stress, it's that, you know, if we can, you really need to control your stress level. It's a huge deal. Meditation, um talk, therapy, journaling, whatever it is. We, we talk about that and social connections. So if you can, there's several, um, like Facebook groups, the pod stuff, people that are doing the same thing that you're doing. That's a network of a social, uh, group that can support you. And then it makes it a lot easier for you to keep your healthy uh, choices because you have people, you have your, your people that you can go to and ask questions. So I just started actually just last week, um, PB and J the plant-based joyful. I did a Facebook group, which I'm happy about that because that will allow me a spot to also put, um, just all again, those recipes, that inspiration, the ideas and other people to share their ideas. It's not just about food, but it's, it's those other things too, that are so important. So I just did that. So I'm focusing on sharing my story and really writing about um, my monthly newsletter and trying to get some new information out there and compiling that. I feel like that's um, the best way for me right now. um, While I work on other things.
1: That's what a lot of us are doing. We're focusing on the whole virtual way of connecting with um, people that we want to support. And congratulations on your certification in lifestyle medicine. That's a big deal. I've heard, you know, I say this all the time, but I've heard that exam is hard. (laughs) So it
0: is, it's like, seriously, it's very difficult. There's so much information out
1: there. Yeah, there's so much science that backs up that these pillars, these simple lifestyle changes that we can make can really support our health. And so I kind of wanted to reiterate that you're a pod leader. And we recently had like a holiday party at the end of the year for pod leaders. And so um, we're looking to build support with one another. So maybe in the future, there's an opportunity for us to collaborate, you know, Dallas, sort of Fort Worth. Weatherford, you never know what can happen.
0: Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a traveling bee. It's like, I'm good. I just go wherever and I do what I can because I think it's so important and shifting people's thoughts on, um, on, on good health is, you know, it's needed a lot. You don't have a lot of, um, healthy options necessarily, um, for, food and, and restaurants. So that's another thing that I'm really trying to, um, go into certain restaurants to ask for always asking for just a healthy option for somebody plant-based. And, you know, for the most part, when you ask about it, they're good and they do try to do that. But I do notice that here now that I'm living in Texas is a little bit different. Um, so there's a, there, there's a learning curve
1: (laughs) and we're working on it though. When I lived in San Diego, I was not plant-based. I had not even heard of, you know, plant-based nutrition, but I definitely was eating a lot more plants because that's sort of the vibe in the area. You know, that's sort of like what you find, the options. Then I moved to Texas and actually to Dallas. And this is where I became plant-based. And yet, um, you know, it's, it's funny how the states are so different. So now you, you have an idea that there's a lot of work to be done here. <laughs>
0: There is, but it can be done. We have Whole Foods here, right? And you can always get some really great organic veggies. Um, I encourage you know people that can't afford necessarily organic everything to just work on the d- Dirty Dozen. And if you've heard of the Dirty Dozen, just focus on. There's a list of twelve vegetables that tend to be the germiest ones for pesticides, and just you know get organic on the Dirty Dozen list. And um, you can Google that to find out what it is. But a lot of times that's strawberries and. And, um, apples are always on the list. Um, things like potatoes that are in the soil. Um, but there's certain things that you can get that, um, and then, you know, don't worry so much about the organics for the other stuff. If you're picking and choosing and trying to pick the right stuff. So there's that, but we have, we do have good restaurants and stuff and and chefs that want to create things. So it's just a matter of
1: asking them. I think that's what we all have to do. Very true. Do you have, um, Bex any final message, um, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I want to
0: encourage anybody that's listening to remember to do the preventative health care screenings. Um, the American Cancer Society recommends the uh, for a normal risk person to start their testing at age 45. You can continue that on like a fit test, what we were talking about, the, the fecal test, you can do that. Um, or, and then once you get, um, to talk to your doctor about when they actually recommend your first colonoscopy and when you have to repeat that. So doing all of that is great for part of your preventative treatment. But the other part is the stuff you do in your own refrigerator, in your own cupboard. That is a huge, easy thing you can do. It's a whole lot less expensive. And um, in just taking care of your health, that's the other preventative message. So if I can do anything for anybody to go buy one of those fit tests and just try it out and see what happens.
1: Well, I must say you look wonderful. Thank you. You look great. Thank you so much, Bex, for sharing your story with us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for asking and and I, I appreciate it. I hope
1: I make a difference. Yes, you will. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Agosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. Thanks for listening.